Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and our minds and you would transform us. Lord, that all of the things that we may be going through right now, things that are difficult, things that are good, Lord, that all of it would be laid at the cross and that you might speak into our lives so that the reality of the kingdom of God would become our everyday experience as we live for Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So I grew up in the 80s. There's a lot of things about the 80s that you don't want to remember. But there are some things that are kind of interesting about the 80s. Ran across this article about stuff in the 80s that, I don't know, some of it's kind of good, I guess. Did you know that Michael Jackson introduced the moonwalk in the 80s? And it became like a pop sensation and every little kid now wanted to be that. Did you know that arcades came into prominence in the 80s? I remember riding my bike and going to these places, and you walk in, and I mean, just lights are buzzing everywhere, and all the noises of the arcades. And, um, the final episode of MASH was in the 80s, and over 100 million people watched it. Do you remember the Just Say No campaign? That was huge in the 80s, Just Say No. Um, this one, I really had to go look up because I don't quite remember it, but after I started looking it up, then I remembered it. The Smurfs were huge in the 80s. There ended up being like Smurf cereal and Smurf, I mean, it was ridiculous. The Smurfs. Um, yeah. Learning that Darth Vader was Luke's father. That might have been the biggest moment of the 80s. Listening to music on a Walkman. Remember those? <laughs> Walkman, or when MTV actually played music videos. That was in the 80s, too. Um, this, I don't remember this book, I just remember the sensation, but a book came out in 81 called The Simple Solution to the Rubik's Cube. And in the 80s, the Rubik's Cube just exploded, and it was tied, apparently, to this book, which, by the way, just made us all feel like idiots, because even after reading the book, we couldn't do it. Here's the thing that I had maybe the hardest time giving up. Mixed tapes. I loved making mixed tapes. Like you take all this music from all these different artists and you put it onto a tape. And guess what happened when CDs came out? You can't make mixed CDs, at least not in the beginning. And like, I rejected CDs for a period. Like, no, I will not listen to CDs. They are of the devil because you can't do mixed CDs. And then they came out with CD writers. They were ridiculously expensive, but you could write onto a CD and actually get more songs and make a bigger mixed CD than a mixed tape. It was kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but I really struggled giving up the mixed tape. And this morning, as simple as that sounds, this is what I want you to think about as we dive into this text. What are you holding on to that it would be a real struggle for you to let go? 
If you would and you have a Bible, open it up to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Starting in verse 18. And a ruler asked him, that is Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When this account starts out, everything looks pretty good. Here comes this ruler. He comes to Jesus, and he asks a really good question. I mean, is there anybody in the room who wouldn't like to know how to inherit eternal life? If there is eternal life, wouldn't you like to know how to get it? It's a great question. And so he comes and he asks this question, and there's kind of a tiny little hiccup. Because Jesus doesn't immediately answer the question. Instead, he says, why do you call me good? The guy offered a little compliment, something kind of attached to teacher. And he says, nobody but God is good. But let's keep going. And then he gives him and he says, here's some of the commandments that you need to follow. And he lists commandments. And they're commandments five through nine, although not in order. But it's commandments five through nine. And, and, and the, the ruler hears that, and I can imagine him getting kind of a smile on his face. And I don't think it's arrogant. I think it's like, oh, well, I've done those from my youth. And so there's a moment where he can smile, and he can kind of feel good, and he can be like, all right. I mean, he just gave me, the, the good teacher just gave me what I'm supposed to do. But this is an interesting thing that happens. When Jesus heard this, So the young ruler, which I say young, it's not in this passage, but another passage, the ruler, yes, I've done this. That's good. But when Jesus hears it, he says this to him, one thing you still lack. Something is missing. Go and sell all that you have. Give the proceeds to the poor. Then... Instead of treasure on earth, you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. That sounds kind of exciting, right? I mean, that's what he wanted to know. How do I do this? And Jesus says, well, you lack in this thing. Go do this and you can do it. But here's the response. But, verse 23, when he heard these things, he became very sad. Now, that's a very particular Greek word, and it is used by Jesus in the garden, where he says, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. I mean, this guy is really sad. This is not just a, oh, bummer. You know, I was hoping for something else. This is like, he, he gets it. The ruler understands something that Jesus just said, and he knows he can't do it. And so he is very 
sad. So what is it that he's missing? I mean, it's an interesting way of saying it. You still lack one thing. What is it that he lacks? What's not there? To answer that question, you got to realize how much this guy actually does have. I mean, this guy's got a lot. He has money. He has position. He has status. And, hear this, he has a good spiritual track record. I mean, that's pretty significant to take five commandments and say, from my youth, I've been following these, and for Jesus not to go, no, you haven't. But he lets it go. This guy's got a lot. So what is he missing? And to understand that, we need to look at the way Jesus approaches this whole thing and how the back and forth goes. It's a, well, you know the commandments. He answers with the commandments. Jesus says you lack one thing. Guess what he's lacking? One of the commandments. Which one? You shall love, you shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one. He's got five through nine, he's missing number one. He might have three, he might have ten, but he's missing number one. So, a little perspective on number one. Here's one of the interesting aspects of the Exodus story. All right, go back into the Exodus with me for a minute. Do you know that in the Exodus story, Yahweh never denies the existence of other gods? Now, scripturally speaking, Yahweh alone created the universe, and Yahweh alone is the true God. However, in the Bible, there are lowercase g gods in societies, in cultures. And here's what happens in the Exodus. Yahweh doesn't come out and say, you know, those aren't gods, I'm the only God. Rather, he comes out and he shows his power over the Egyptian gods. To the point that in the last plague, this is the language. Tonight I will execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. See, this is what I think Yahweh was going for. I don't want you to choose me because I'm the only option. I want you to choose me because I'm the best option. I am the only one that will ever give you what you actually need and want. And so the very first commandment is this, you shall have no other gods before me. And yet, this ruler, his reaction to the direction that Jesus gives him, you need to go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come follow, shows you he has something above Yahweh. There's something he's serving more than Yahweh, money. And here's the flip. Money is supposed to serve us, but right now this ruler is serving his money to the point that when he's presented eternal life, he still can't let go of it. He's still holding on. He is a slave to his money. So, um, our baby is walking. And I think I mentioned that last week. Um, and, and it's very, very adorable because he has the drunk baby walk right now where it's kind of that stumble, you know, and he's moving pretty well, but then he does this and you just, you smile and it's so adorable. And he likes to do circuits around the kitchen, walking. 
And last week, I'm watching him do this, but he is carrying his blankie with him. His blankie is bigger than he is. So if you can imagine drunk baby carrying his blankie around with uneven floors at times, and he's like doing this, and then he, and then he gets a foot on the blanket, and it almost chops him, and he keeps going. So I went over, and I, you know, let me take the blanket. Like, you will be able to walk if I take the blanket. So I tried to take the blanket. Guess what happened? <laughs> yeah, I gave the blanket back. <laughs> That's what happened. But I could watch him holding onto this thing and going, if you would just let that go, you could walk so much better. But he needed it. He just held onto it. Dare I say, no longer was the blanket serving him, but he was serving the blanket. He couldn't let it go. The ruler can't let go. Now, I'm going to get uncomfortable for a minute, okay? Well, I'm not. You're going to get uncomfortable for a minute. I already got uncomfortable because I went through this exercise. I want to start with the very thing that he's challenging the ruler on, money. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to consider these things. And you're considering it within your own heart, your own mind. I'm not asking anybody to raise hands. You're not writing this down and turning it in. This is between you and the Lord of the universe. Do you serve money? Here's a couple of questions. Number one, do you give to the Lord? And I'm going to break that apart for a minute. Um, you should give to your local church. You absolutely should be supporting the ministry of your local church. I don't care how much. I don't care if you give 10% of your overall giving to the church and 90% to something else God is doing. You should be giving to your church. And you should be giving to the Lord. If you are not giving to the Lord... I want you to ask yourself why. And are you serving money more than money serving you? Along those lines, we just did a, a thing for the tornadoes, for the victims, and we're bringing stuff in. Sometimes you're going to be asked within the walk with Christ to say, can you give a little more? Are you able at times to do that? Let me ask you a different question. Do you always need the new are you always looking for the next thing do you constantly compare your financial situation to the situation of others how often is your happiness tied to money or what money can bring instead of what you have now and who is in your life not what is in your life, but who is in your life. Have you made choices in your work life or your schedule that bring too much stress or take too much time away from family or God or other important things because, hey, some people have to work long hours, I get that, but you've made certain choices because you want more stuff or 
deep down, you're not really trusting God. You're trusting you. The ruler lacked one thing. He broke the first commandment because he, he was a servant to money more than he was a servant to God. Are we doing the same? Now, I'm gonna open this up just a little bit. What about other areas? Right, we're just gonna keep kind of plugging along here. It's not just money we can end up serving. We can end up serving a job, a position, status, an attitude. You ever had an attitude you just won't let go of? How about a theological position on something? How about a political position? How about a grudge that you won't let go of? A reputation? How about positively a dream or a plan you have for your life that is clearly not going that direction, but you won't let go of it? If you looked closely at your life right now and you honestly assessed where you are, what are you serving? What will you not let go of or give over to God? You have to hold on to it. Or let me ask it this way. What does God want for your life? Now, first, he wants relationship with you. But through that, what does he want for your life? What does he want in your family? What does he want with your job? What does he want with your schedule? If you're asking this first, what will you stumble across to say, I am holding on to something I need to let go of because it has become the thing I'm serving more than God. Now, if you decide you want to let go, it's hard. Be upfront. It is hard. And here's one of the reasons. This ruler's money is tangible, right? It provides for him. It gives him status. It gives him power. It gives him joy. It is physical. It is concrete. It has immediate benefits. But selling all of the stuff that Christ has asked him to sell and clinging to God is far less tangible. God is spirit. I have no idea how this is going to work out if I do this. What I do know is I like this chariot that I'm riding around in right now. It's far more tangible. And I would also say this. A lot of the things that we may not want to let go of, there's a certain tangible quality to them that letting them go and just trusting God doesn't have. Money, of course, you can see it. But think about this. Having a certain reputation or job or status, there's tangible rewards for that. Jesus is offering you rewards in heaven. Those are less tangible. I can't see them. How about this? Clinging to a particular attitude or a viewpoint or even a theological position. There's something solid to that. It feels safer. Like I can at least grip that. As opposed to going, God, I am willing to think differently. I'm willing to act differently. I'm willing to be different if that's what you call me to. Some of us have experienced this, holding on to a grudge or anger. I mean, at least I've got something to, to grip. I've got something to, to, but letting go and saying, God, I'm giving this to you. Really, I'm giving this to you. You don't know the outcome. 
Same thing with a dream or a plan for your life. You don't know the outcome. It's less tangible. The tangible things offer us a certain amount of security that the intangible doesn't have. Um, so one of everybody's favorite players on the Dallas Cowboys is Jason Witten. And Witten has come back. After a year of retirement and failing at being a broadcaster, Witten has returned to football. Um, Witten, when he played with Tony Romo, he got a particular nickname, the security blanket. And it probably came from announcers. That's what you hear it from. And the reason he got the nickname security blanket is because Romo could hit him whenever they needed the yards. Third down, they need that first Romo was there. I mean, Witten was there. And, and, and even if people knew Witten was going to get the ball, somehow he still slips away and catches the ball. He was the security blanket. Now, in light of my son's blankie and things like that, and just thinking about security blanket, and, you know, a security blanket is this soft, fluffy thing that is meant to make babies happy, Right? Chris, can you come up for a minute? I want to uh, show you a couple of things about Jason Witten. Can you just stand next to me? All right. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so I have to hug this guy sometimes, and it's so awkward because he's so giant. All right, he's six foot four. Jason Witten is six foot six. And he weighs 260 pounds. Jason Witten, not Chris Lipper. So you just imagine, add two inches and then add whatever amount of weight that is. 260 pounds. This is Jason Witten. Thank you for the visual. Um, and when he played, Jason Witten has played through hurt shoulders, hurt legs, a broken rib, a lacerated spleen, and at one point, this is maybe the greatest play in all of NFL history. At one point, Jason gets the ball, and he is running down the field, and somebody smacks into him so hard that his helmet flies off. The guy bounces off, and Jason keeps running down the field without a helmet on. And as he is going down the field, men are literally grown men. They are jumping on him and he is dragging a half dozen guys with him down the field before they finally wrestle him to the ground. And he gets the nickname Blanky. Does that seem right to you? This guy was a beast. I mean, he really was. And he was security for Tony Romo. There is no doubt. And I tell you, in 2019, he's not quite the security for Dak Prescott anymore. He's got a few more years on his body. He doesn't move quite the way he moved five years ago. He occasionally drops a ball. I'm not sure he ever dropped a ball a couple years ago because he's aged. And I tell you, any thing you are holding on to right now that is not God will let you down at some point. It doesn't matter how good it's working for you right now. 
at some point, it will not be enough. We are called to let go of those things that we are actually serving. Things that are meant to serve us, but we are serving them. Attitudes, money, reputations, jobs, whatever it is, because it is standing in the way of truly serving God. And I want you to notice what happens to this ruler. Here's the thing we need to recognize. Whatever you're serving right now, it is impacting you. It's shaping you. You're becoming something because of the things you're holding on to that are not God. Here's what happens to this ruler, how his money shaped him. So in chapter 18, um, verse 15 is about the little children. And it ends by saying this, let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now ignore the little title in your Bible right there because this keeps going. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why would you be any different? But that's his question. I mean, he just heard the answer. But this ruler steps up and says, yeah, but, but what do I need to do? Why are you any different? Because you're wealthy? Good teacher. Jesus stopped him at that and said, why, why do you call me good? Well, why is he calling him good? I'd make this suggestion. He's a good politician. And he really does believe that he can influence Jesus to a better answer. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So somehow, even his wealth makes him think he could influence or manipulate Jesus? Not only are those things shaping him as we see that come out, but he thinks that his accomplishments are all he needs. When Jesus says, you must do this, and he goes, oh, I've done that. And then when Jesus goes, you need one more thing, he's like, oh, I can't do that. That's not worth it. You see, whatever you're holding on to right now, it is shaping you. It's causing you to view certain things certain ways. Whether it's people or situations or your future, it's impacting you. In the same way that, listen to this, if you will cling to God first, that will also shape you. That will mold you and make you into a kingdom first follower of Christ. Because now he's shaping you. Not only does it shape you what you hold on to, but it can't give you what you want. We all know this, right? I mean, just... Theoretically, you know that holding on to money won't ultimately satisfy you. You know that holding on to that position or holding on to that grudge or whatever, it's not ultimately going to bring you satisfaction. I just want to read what happens in the rest of the scene. Jesus, seeing that he'd become sad, said, How difficult is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel 
the largest animal they knew of, to go through the eye of a needle, a really, really tiny thing, than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God because they're serving money, not money serving them. Now, does that mean everybody? No. I mean, we have an example of Zacchaeus in Luke's gospel. Doesn't mean you can't have money. He just says how difficult it is because far too many of those who are rich, they are serving their money. They need more money, more stuff, and that's driving their life. Now, the disciples, um, they hear this. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? Because they had a basic idea theologically that if you're wealthy, it's because you've been blessed by God. Well, my goodness, if you're being blessed by God and you can't get in, who in the world could be saved? Look at this line. What is impossible with man is possible with God. This is what you need to know. What you most desire in your life, it will come because God makes it possible, not because you cling to whatever it is that you're serving. God makes possible what anything we cling to does not make possible. And he says this is the reality. Peter comes and says, see, we've left our homes and we followed you. Like, we're putting you first. What does that mean? Well, he said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. And by the way, um, Jesus is not advocating divorce here. Um, but he makes an extreme example to say this. For the sake of putting the kingdom first, and this happened in the first centuries. It happens throughout all of the centuries. There are times where families have been torn apart because one member of the family followed Christ and the other would not. But it's not a go divorce your wife or your husband or you know, ignore your children so they starved to death. That's not what he's talking about. But it is being so radical in your choice that you choose God. Who will not receive many more, many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. This is what he says. Let go of whatever you're holding on to that you are serving even more than God. And as scary as that is, God will give you more than you will ever get by clinging to that thing. I don't necessarily mean God is going to give you every single thing you ask for. Like, for example, I'd really like an Audi. I'm kind of tired of my Honda. I'd like an Audi. Just because I let go doesn't mean God's going to give me an Audi. God will give you life. This phrase where Jesus says, sell everything you have, distribute it to the poor. Then you'll have treasure in heaven. There's a comma in the English text. And in Greek, that word come it's, a, it's an exclamation. It's an excitement. It's like a freedom word where Jesus goes, I want you to unburden yourself from these things that you think you need because once you do unburden yourself, once you let it go, come, follow me. Like you'll be free to just come and be my disciple because right now it is dragging you down. I've used this illustration a couple of times, and I'm going to use it again because I think it's just a really good illustration for what it's going to take. 
If you've ever been to Hurricane Harbor, there is a section of Hurricane Harbor, Harbor for kids where they've got all these you know, splash pools and like things to climb up and littler slides and water that comes down. And there's one area where you've got like buoy things that you walk across, but they've got ropes because they slip under your feet. And there's no way you could walk across those things without holding the ropes. Even holding the ropes, you watch kids kind of do this. Their legs are swinging all over the place. But when you get to the very end, there's a little bit of a gap and to get off that thing, you got to figure out a way to get over that gap. When Kira was about six years old, she went across this thing, and she got to that point, and she is clinging to those ropes. And I'm standing right here, and I'm saying, you've got to take my hand for me to help you off that thing. But in order to take my hand, what did she have to do? She had to let go. And it was scary. I mean, she's, she knows that this is not stable, but at least she knows what she has. She's holding on to something, and at least she's not falling in. To let go and to grab a hold of my hand, there's a moment where she has to go, I don't know what's going to happen. I just know I need that. You cannot hold on to anything and God. You cannot serve God and mammon, God and money. You have to let go and grab on. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are being offered freedom, freedom from slavery to things that we cling to, freedom to live life abundantly as you are offering, freedom to be the people of God in profound and amazing and joyful ways. Lord, I ask right now for every person in this room, you would show us the things we so desperately cling to that we really have not let go of. And God, you'd help us to open our hands, let them go, and to grab onto you, that we would serve you and have no other gods before you, that we might live kingdom first in all of the freedom and joy that Jesus offers. In his name we pray, amen.